Hey, Down Ballot Counts listeners, this is producer David Schultz. We're on a little summer vacation right now, but we thought we'd reshare with you an interview we did from earlier this year that we really enjoyed. In this episode, originally broadcast on June 29th, we spoke to Quentin James, the founder and president of The Collective, a political action committee with a mission to help more African-Americans win elected office. He spoke to our hosts, Kyle Trickstad and Greg Giroux, about the state of black political power in America and how it's being shaped by recent civil rights activism. Seeing people marching in big cities and small all across the country has made this feel to a lot of people less like a moment and more like a real turning point in our culture. Um, The question I think though is what comes of it? So politically, what's your organization doing to harness this energy and awareness and self-reflection to increase black political power? That's a great question. Um, What we're seeing around the country and and also around the world, which has been surprising, um, is the, the kind of culmination of the new civil rights movement, which we've kind of been in, I think, since... I would say the Trayvon Martin incident um, in the kind of rise of the Black Lives Matter movement and kind of hashtag at that time. Um, one way we've been looking at this is, you know, we want to make sure folks understand that if we want to change the laws, we have to change the lawmakers. Uh, and so for us, that's been just a critical component of our work. Um, one way we've been directly engaging the protest movement is we've been using the technology, of, you know, we call geofencing, um, where you can take mobile IDs from certain geographic areas. We've been doing that for all the protests and serving, you know, the protesters and activists uh, voter registration advertisements. We want to make sure that folks are engaged in the political process that starts with being a registered voter. Uh, but then we're also looking at ways to encourage candidates to run for office. Um, in a few weeks, we'll be uh, launching our Black Campaign School, which has been a kind of phenomenal program we've been running for the past few years, which, um, again, gives candidates the tools, the training uh, to be able to step up and run for office. We know that if it's whether, you know, it's a PTA president or the president of a, you know, local fraternity sorority, like those are the kind of leaders who we want to like make sure they understand that your leadership can appear in public service as well, right? Not just within these kind of, uh, you know, black affinity groups and kind of black justice groups. Like, no, we actually need you making policy. We need you managing tax dollars to create the change that, you know, we all want to see. What were some of your takeaways from last week's primaries in Kentucky, New York, and Virginia? Some of them we don't know the results of yet, but um, you had, you know, Charles Booker running, Jamal Bowman, Richie Torres, uh, Mondaire Jones, uh, Dr. Cameron Webb in Virginia. What what did you take away from last week's elections? Well, it, I mean, for us, it was very much just a, a case study in our theory of change. Uh, we know that black voters um, are more progressive, right? We know that black voters want to see progressive change. Um, you know, recently we celebrated the uh, 50th anniversary of the ratification of the first ever black agenda um, from the historic kind of Gary, Indiana Black Political Convention. And what's fascinating is that 50 years ago, black people were calling for universal health care. Um, they were calling for reduction in police uh, budgets, right? Like, so these things have been in the kind of political consciousness of of black people for a long time. I think what we're now seeing is a, a conversion of um, 
uh, black candidates running with a progressive message um, and the progressive movement stepping up to, to back them in a national way. Right. So it was amazing that Bernie Sanders is like not the leading face and voice, but like he is the support mechanism for a Jamal Bowman um, or for a, a, a Charles Booker. And so that was fascinating for us just to see that. I, I think it does say that for the progressive movement, right, within the larger kind of Democratic party apparatus. Um, if you want to win, you need to start investing now in more diverse and younger candidates. Um, and I think that will be their pathway to victory. Um, I think it's an indictment of the establishment uh, and how they haven't uh, invited and been welcoming to invested in building a younger, more diverse bench. Uh, and so that's the other fascinating thing about this, like all the kind of you know new black members of Congress who are coming in are younger, are more progressive. And so what does that mean for the Congressional Black Caucus? What does that mean for the Democratic Caucus, right? Those are really important questions. Um, you know, you have, again, someone who I, I love, right? Hakeem Jeffries, who's chair of the Democratic Caucus, not backing the progressive black candidate running for Congress in New York. Um, and so I'm sure they're going to all, you know, hug and make up and work together well. But the, the, this should, you know, give a lot of concern and worry to some of the more establishment democratic forces in in charge right now. Um, But for us, uh, we've known this. We've been working with these kind of candidates for a long time, right? I mean, we saw what happened with Andrew Gillum, Stacey Abrams in 2018. Now, they didn't win, right? But like Stacey was the most Googled politician in the world in 2018, right? Like there's a huge um, attractiveness and a huge um, desire for more candidates like those those who are running and in, in, in most of those who, who won. And so, yeah, I think you're going to see more of this. I think you're going to see more of it down ballot. Um, and this might be, the, again, the change that we look at, you know, kind of starting from looking at the change that the Democratic Party. I think these elections will kind of signify that moving forward. And you noted earlier in your most recent ad just notes as well that if we want to change the laws, uh, you have to change the lawmakers. What are some of the issues and policies a more diverse Congress or a more diverse state legislature would address that haven't received the attention they deserve? Yeah, I mean, listen, I I think um, and it it seems, you know, uh, maybe extreme to some people now. But the conversation around um, reparations is a real conversation that I think we're going to start to see happen um, at the federal level. Uh, when you get down to state and local you know, cities, I think, again, this question around um, now the, the, the word is defunding the police. Right. And people should understand, like, that's actually the more moderate position. I mean, people are calling for the abolition of police um, around the country as well. And so I think like under, uh, people should understand, like and, and also like defunding is, is very much a bipartisan conversation. Right. Like, I mean, the Koch brothers have been pushing um, reform of our, our prisons. Right. To move money away from, you know, incarcerating people to other you know pub, kind of public service Thing. So this isn't like a r- radical conversation around defunding the police either. Um, so uh, the reparations, defunding the police are two, um, I-, I would say, things that have been getting attention, but, you know, having um, the-, the public opinion of it isn't as popular. Right. So thinking about, you know, tuition free college, um, thinking about, again, universal health care in a real universal way. Um, these things are going to pick up steam as we kind of deal with our economy that's been ravaged due to coronavirus. Like this is going to be a a new reality um, for many um, states and cities reckoning with their lost revenue. Um, when you can't, you know, afford to pay 
police officers and firefighters and teachers, you know, um, or other public kind of uh, services at the same levels that you used to, where do you make decisions? What do you prioritize? Those will be, I think, the new conversations that we're having, which, again, is the conversation around power. Um, We've seen a lot of, you know, great things, right? Like painting Black Lives Matter on streets or, you know, taking TV shows off that maybe had blackface in them. Like that stuff is really important and symbolic. But like the real thing black people are asking for right now is power. Um, And that's, I think, the conversation that is going to be tough to have in local cities and, and in states moving forward is who controls the budgets, who controls the the policymaking conversations? Um, that's where the rubber meets the road, I think, in these kind of conversations. And how would you assess the prospects for increased black political representation in the November election? We're excited. Um, you know, if if we keep keep this up, um, this will be the twenty uh, in two thousand and twenty one will be the first time where African Americans have been equally represented. Meaning, we've hit that magic fifty seven member mark. Uh, which signifies, right, like a, a place where African Americans, you know, their representation in Congress represents their population in the country. Now, a long way to go in the Senate, a long way to go um, in kind of statewide elected offices around the country with, you know, black governors and lieutenant governors. We've made progress, but not enough. Um, and so this is a, a momentous occasion uh, in November for our community. And I think um, for us, right, if you want to talk about democracy and all the great things that it represents, you have to first start with making sure that every voice is at the table. And due to just systematic, you know, my opinion, white supremacy um, in our campaign financing system and how the two party system has really like, you know, denigrated our ability to have voices on all sides. Uh, we're in this kind of place where we just don't have that representation. And it's not just black people. Right. It, it's all people of color. It's also women. Um, and so we got to we got to change that. And I think this November we will show tremendous progress. Um, but again, um, we, we have to keep the ball moving and, and keep moving forward. All right. Last question here. Speaking of November, how are turnout operations for black voters going to change amid the pandemic? Oh, wow. Um, so we're actually excited about turnout as well. Um, what we've been seeing in the primaries is an increased interest from black people to come out and vote. But we've seen bottlenecks in the system that can also hamper that turnout, right? So, like, I was recently in in Louisville, Kentucky for the the primary, um, and although there's a lot, you know, made of the "All Eyes on Kentucky" hashtag, that was actually us um, in in our program who who kind of helped, you know, get that trending online. Had 112 kind of million impressions on that day. But one of the things that like Kentucky should be applauded for is like they. Passed vote by mail, which was, again, the first time ever led to increased turnout. They had early vote, which was amazing and allowed people to come vote early. But on Election Day, there were challenges, right, with only having one um, precinct per uh, county. And so in Louisville, like we saw up to 30 minute traffic jams of folks just trying to get their vehicles into one location. Um, imagine, uh, right, like hundreds of thousands of people needing to like go to one place to vote. It, it's a challenge. Um, in Lexington, they had over two hour waits um, because they only had 
three or four check-in tables, right, when you came in. And so, like, I don't think it was an intentional suppression effort, right? But it, it, it had impact of suppression. And so this is a place where I think big data can solve a lot of challenges. Um, one thing that we are working on now is what we're calling our GOTV Holy Grail, which we're going to be launching a national um, uh, commit to vote program targeting African-Americans. So like starting in August, you can say, hey, I'm committing to vote. Um, let me know where I need to go, when I need to go. Right. We'll have all that in one place. But we'll also ask people to choose. Like, do you want to vote by mail if your state allows it? Do you want to vote early in person? Do you want to vote on Election Day? I mean, when they say that, we will then move them through an engagement funnel. Right. All right. You want to uh, vote early in person. Here are the days um, in your state where you can vote early in person. Here's a location. Choose a date and time where you want to go. And guess what? We're going to give you a free code to get a free ride, you know, via Lyft to go uh, to go and vote. And so once we kind of map that out on a macro level, we'll be able to see where are the potential bottlenecks, right? And what cities, what states do we need to send more lawyers, send more food, uh, you know, recruit more poll workers, uh, recruit more Lyft drivers because there's going to be a, a high demand there. Um, this is where big data can come in and fix our kind of broken voting system. Um, so we're excited about that. We, we know there's been a huge increase in people looking to get right to vote, um, looking for information about candidates. We have to like race against time and provide that information and make it as easy as possible. Because unfortunately, um, I don't think our president really wants to do that <laughs> um, or many leaders in the Republican Party want to make it easy to vote. And so it, it's really on us to, to make sure that we can fix these challenges and and again, like strengthen our democracy and have a record-breaking turnout in November. You can follow Quentin on Twitter at QJames. Quentin, this was a great discussion. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you all so much. That was Quentin James, the founder and president of the Collective Pack. He originally spoke to us for the June 29th episode of Down Ballot Counts. We'll be back next week with all new episodes of the podcast. Until then, stay safe and have a great summer. We chanted, we work, we work, and then we hit a gong. We'll take you inside the company with interviews from people who helped build WeWork and exclusive tapes of internal meetings. None of us want to look back and say, I could have done more. This could have been bigger. This could have been better. That's not acceptable. You do not get a chance like this again. None of us do. This is a new podcast from Bloomberg Technology called Foundering. Foundering. 